0: Thank you, Brother Will, for doing a good job. Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, With the weather being messy and cold, I'm grateful that you chose uh, to come and to worship and to hear a portion of God's Word. I'm happy to announce that Friday, our toy drive, was a big success. And so we're, we're happy to be able to team up with the community's goodwill and also to team up with our neighbor's next door to be able to bless children's Christmases, and so because of the church here, uh, we'll be able, children will be waking up, and uh, Santa Claus will visit a few houses, and so we're happy to be able to help families who are struggling at this time. It's always tough uh, around Christmas for some families, and uh, we just want to make sure that Christian or that children wake up uh, to Christmas, and so What a wonderful cause that is. And we had a wonderful showing for that. And thank you to all who helped and participated and brought toys and uh, helped in that uh, wonderful event. So it's good to see you. This morning we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. And it's pretty famous, the words of Christ. And he's actually quoting the words of Moses way back in the Torah. And it's when he is tempted... And he says this, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's an interesting passage, and I think it has deep, deep import for all of our lives. Because first of all, it deals with something that's very fundamental to who we are, to what we are. And that is... Appetite. Appetite. We all have appetites. You might even right now be feeling your appetite. You don't want me to preach too long, right? Everybody likes lunch. But we all have appetites, don't we? Physiological appetites. We like to eat. We like to drink. We like to sleep. And we need that, don't we? It's a need in our lives. If you don't eat, something bad happens. If you don't drink water, your body shuts down. If you don't sleep, you go crazy. Trust me, I've been there. There's all kinds of appetites. We have appetites. And you know what? Our tempter, Satan, can even use those appetites and distort them, can corrupt them. And isn't that what addiction is? It's a corrupted appetite. And there's people walking around today with all kinds of appetites in their body and in their souls. It may be drugs. It may be alcohol. It may be sex. It may be money. It may be power. It may be control. It may be all these things. And people start to use those appetites and they use them and they harm them, actually. And it harms other people around them. But their appetite is so strong, they forget that people matter. That's dangerous, isn't it? When our appetite within us becomes so strong that we start to do things that hurt ourselves and hurt each other. Appetites can be dangerous. And here's the thing, an appetite can consume you an appetite can consume me and isn't that dangerous there's an old folklore about how an Eskimo hunts wolves I think it's interesting I don't know if it's true but I think there's a lesson in it what they do is they take a knife as the story goes and they put blood on it and they put blood all around it coats that knife up with blood And then they take that knife and they stick it down in the ground into the snow. And then a wolf comes and smells the blood and begins to lick the knife. And as the wolf begins to lick that knife, the knife begins to cut the wolf's own tongue. And unbeknownst to the wolf, as he's drinking the blood, he's actually consuming the life that's within himself. He's drinking his own blood. And by morning, his appetite has consumed him, has killed him. Does that happen in our lives? Do our appetites consume us sometimes? And that's where Jesus is, he's in the wilderness. He's just been baptized by John the Baptist. It was a highlight of his spiritual life. He's obeyed God in front of all the people. He's been immersed. He's been baptized. And then he goes out into the wilderness. And guess what comes? Temptation. And it says that he had been fasting. Get this. He'd been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. You think you're hungry at noon. And it says this, it says, and he was hungry. I bet he was. If you fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, you'd probably be looking at the rocks wanting them to be bread, wouldn't you? The tempter came to him and he says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And it's within that context that Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, yes, we have these physical appetites, but guess what? There are other appetites that I must answer to. That there's actually something more important right now than the appetite that I have for bread. And that my life doesn't just consist of my appetite for bread and for physical food. He says there's a spiritual appetite. There's something primary. Something other than just the flesh. Something other than just the material world. There is a spiritual reality. He's calling our attention that life is more than just eating food. That life is more than just clothes. There's also a spiritual vitality. There's a spiritual health that all of us have. One philosopher said it like this, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only God the Creator made known through Jesus You see, there is an appetite within every person walking on this earth, whether they know it or not, that they need God. They need those spiritual realities in their life. There's a vacuum. And if you don't believe that there's another poverty in this world, let me recall... A statement by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I, this will tell you how impoverished the world is spiritually. Listen to this. This was in his Nobel Prize speech. He said this to the world. There's nothing new about poverty. What is new, however, is that we have the resources to get rid of it. I want you to think about that. Let me say it again. There is nothing new about poverty. What is new, however, is that we have the resources to get rid of it. Do you think that there's a spiritual poverty if we have more than more, more resources than ever? We have more riches than ever. We have more technological advances than ever. We have more medical advances than ever. And there's still people hungry. Is there a spiritual poverty on this earth? If people are still starving and we don't have to have anybody starving? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth. There is a spiritual poverty. If there's someone hungry in this day and age. Right? No one should be hungry. No one should be impoverished. But yet they are. They are Jesus says, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You see, there is a spiritual appetite that all of us have. And unless we know where to fulfill that appetite, our life becomes mismanaged. That's what happens. If you're not seeking the Lord, if you're not getting that fulfillment through Him then you're going to try to find it elsewhere and it's not going to fit. It's not going to work. And that's what we see the world doing. They're looking for all the answers in the wrong places and in the wrong people and in the wrong things. So here are just a few examples of things that have a spiritual import. Spiritual appetites. Number one, truth. That's a spiritual thing, isn't it? The truth. It's hard to find these days, isn't it? There are some people who just esteem scientific truth, scientific knowledge, but that's not all that there is. And I believe wholeheartedly in the exercise of science. But guess what? There's limits to that knowledge. And, and the, the knowledge of science also has foundational principles that are outside its purview. Science cannot give you all the answers. I wish it did. But it will not give you all the answers. And it's great that our observation and that we can collect data and that we can use our rationality and we can use induction and we can figure things out. It's how we got to the moon. It's great. It's how we got penicillin. It's great. But yet it's limited And it's built on certain things that are beyond its purview. Moral knowledge is not found in science. Aesthetic beauty is not found in science. Your consciousness, to some degree, is not found in science. Think about what the foundations of good science are. You want me to tell you one of the most important things to good science? Honesty. In fact, you cannot have a good scientist, you can't have good science unless the scientist studying it is honest. Because you can collect all kinds of data and then once you have to report the data, you have to do what? You have to tell the truth. And there's no science for telling the truth, is there? You just have to do it. It's a value. It's beyond the scope of science, but yet it's a part of the process. If you look on the internet, I challenge you to Google scientific misconduct. And what you're going to find is a litany of people who are scientists, who are credentialed, but you know what they're not? Honest. But yet it takes that moral strength. It takes that ethical strength to be what? To be a good scientist. What else do you have to be in good science? You've got to treat human beings like human beings. But yet science can't tell you that. Science can't tell you how to treat people. I've read a science book before. I've read a biology book. I've read a physics book. I've read all kinds of science books. But I don't see how they say, hey, this is how you treat people. And one time they did an experiment concerning syphilis and they didn't tell the people that had syphilis at Tuskegee Institute what that they had penicillin. And they let them suffer for 40 years because they wanted to get some information. They wanted to be scientists. But that science didn't tell them how to treat people, did it? But good science is built on truth and on moral truth. Another spiritual appetite that we need in this life is not only the truth, but we need forgiveness. We need forgiveness, don't we? And what I see in the world... Is that I see in this world is that there is evil. All you got to do is turn on your TV, right? Turn on your radio. You'll be confronted with evil. It'll be so sometimes so bad that you just want to turn it off. You want to run and hide, right? But and that pushes all of us to assume what that there there has to be some responsibility for what we do, right? That there has to be some accountability for what we do. We need to be held accountable for actions. But we also need what? Forgiveness. It's just as much as we need justice in this world, we also need forgiveness. It's just as much as we need punishment, we need salvation. This world needs salvation. It needs forgiveness, doesn't it? And that is a spiritual need, isn't it? A spiritual need in your life. No matter what relationship you're in, you're going to need forgiveness. Remember one time in Jesus' ministry, His name was going out there for all the wonderful works that He was doing. And four friends brought a paralytic man to Jesus. In fact, they couldn't even get to Jesus because there were so many people around Him. They had to bring Him through the, through the ceiling. They tore open the ceiling and lowered him down into the house where Jesus was. And there that paralytic man was. And it's interesting what Jesus said next. He didn't say anything about his condition, his physical condition. He said, the next thing he said is, Thy sins are forgiven thee. Religious guys were like, what? who does this guy think he is? He's going around forgiving people's sins. And of course, Jesus wowed him again. He said, which is easier to say, thy sins are forgiven thee or, or take up thy bed and walk? And he did. But what was the primary need that that man needed? He needed forgiveness even beyond the need of his legs to function. And there's some of us in this room today, we need forgiveness, don't we? We We live in shame. We live in guilt. We live addled, burdened by our mistakes, and we need forgiveness. That's a spiritual need, isn't it? Another thing that we need in our life, a spiritual need, is meaning. Victor Frankl, the great psychologist, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, said this, More people have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. Got everything that you need, right? You got everything that you need. You walked in here. But yet, there's so many people out there who have enough, at least to survive, but they've got no meaning in their life. The only meaning they got is Whatever pleasure, whatever thing that they're seeking after, no real meaning in their life. And and they gave us all kinds of things to, to think about in the history of this thought. Darwin said, Well, every man's will is he just wants to survive. Well, I want to survive, but don't you want to do more than that? Well, then Freud came along and he said, Well, really, man just wants pleasure. Yeah, and every one of us wants some pleasure, I'd say. But life's more than pleasure, isn't it? Then Nietzsche came along and he says, No, I think it's, every man wants some power. That's, why man want, that's what makes man satisfied. But then Frankl came along and he said, No, those, none of those are quite right. Actually, what man desires most to flourish and to be happy and to be filled is actually meaning to their life. And that's what I encounter every day in a clinical setting. When people live through something, when people survive something, they say, I want to know what the meaning of my life is, right? I want meaning. I want to know why I'm alive. And we're all seeking that. We're all searching for that. And ultimately, that is a spiritual thing to find meaning in your life. It only comes when you realize there's something greater than yourself. You only find that meeting when you realize there's someone greater than yourself. It's a spiritual appetite, isn't it? It's a spiritual need. Which brings us actually to love. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. We all need love, don't we? And that's the spiritual need. And when we talk about love, we sometimes confuse what love is Yes, love is affection. Yes, love is companionship. And sometimes love does involve sex when you're married. But none of those things are love, are they? Actually, love is an ethic in in the way that you live. Love is valuing someone else. And ultimately, that's spiritual, isn't it? Love is spiritual. And that's what Jesus talked about in His ministry, loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul, because that's where love comes from. That's where that value comes from. And because God values every person, you should too. No matter how different they are, no matter what color they are, no matter how rich or poor they are, Mother Teresa said this, Going back kind of to our statement of Dr. King, the most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. That's a terrible poverty, isn't it? When someone is unloved, then guess what? Their needs aren't going to be met. That love is primary. The love is what motivates a mother to feed her child, isn't it? So ultimately, you've got to have that love first, right? And that's a spiritual need in our lives. And lastly, another spiritual need, and I'm going to leave you with this one, is actually hope is a spiritual need. You know what one of the most important ingredients to right now, to this day is? What you think about tomorrow. It really is. What's important about today? What you think about tomorrow? If you think tomorrow is gone and lost, guess what today is? Just like it. And there are many people living in this world who think the future holds no promise for them. But when we talk to Christ about the future, He says something totally different, doesn't He? He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And in my Father's house are many mansions and many rooms. And that's hope, isn't it? So when we talk about truth, when we talk about forgiveness, when we talk about meaning, when we talk about love, when we talk about hope, guess where all those things coalesce in one place? It's not at the bank. It's not. It's not in the bedroom. Sorry. It's not even in this room. No, it's on Calvary. Where will you find the greatest truth to man's existential predicament? Where Jesus died. Because where Jesus died is where you die. Because if Jesus died because of sin, and guess what? Our world is haunted by sin. You're going to find the truth of man there at the cross. Where are you going to find forgiveness at the cross because it's through his sacrificial death that forgiveness is afforded to all people everywhere where are you going to find the ultimate meaning the cross there's a purpose to life there's a purpose because god's showing you i love you where are you going to find the love There's no greater place than the cross. It's Jesus saying, I love you so much that I give my life so that you can live. And ultimately, you're going to find hope, which is crazy, isn't it? That you go to a place where a man died. And this is the greatest riddle for those who don't believe how an instrument of crucifixion, an instrument of death, has become a symbol of hope. Isn't that amazing? The modern equivalent is people walking around with electric chairs around their necks. Do you see anybody doing that? But the cross has been so transformed by the life of Jesus and by the purposes of God That a cross has now become man's greatest hope of redemption. That's amazing, isn't it? Today, if you do not know the truth, do not know purpose and meaning, do not know forgiveness, do not know love, do not know hope, I challenge you to look to the cross. It's an enigma. There's nothing on earth like it. No one has ever... Quite figured it out. But let me tell you, there is a truth there that is so sure. There is a meaning there that is so profound. There is a forgiveness there that is so deep. There is a love there that is so full. And there is a hope that is so expected. It's beyond anything else. It's it's worthy to live your life according to. If you haven't done that today, we want to encourage you to follow Christ. To follow His teaching. And when you look at the teachings of Christ, it's unparalleled to the truth that He told. To turn your life over in faith to Him. To repent of sin. To confess Christ to be the Son of the living God. To be baptized as He was baptized. As His disciples were baptized. As a symbol of your surrender to Him. Or maybe you are a Christian you're struggling, or you need a prayer of encouragement or healing, we want to encourage you as we sing this next song to come forward as together we stand and as we sing.